Genesis 37, verses 12 to 19. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send them, send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are going to graze the crops? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Thank you, Rosalind, for that. And um, as we look at the Bible this morning, we're going to be seeing some of the things that my, my brother talked about last week and covering some of those verses again because it, it's sort of interlocked. I think my brother found that when he was preparing and I did. But before I go on this morning, I just want to thank you each as the, this church for your prayers that you, um, over the last months for Meryl and myself and for, but Meryl's here this morning as she is, is just a great answer to prayer uh, that her health is where it is today. And so I just want to thank you and the prayers of God's people do matter. And that's all I can say uh, today. And I just want to thank you from us both this morning. And of course, if we're going to uh, make sense of our Bible reading this morning, we need to look at what has been going on, what, what was happening prior to this time. And some of that was covered last week. I wonder, let me ask you some questions. Have you ever felt disliked? Not been accepted? Not tolerated? Have you ever felt loved by some of your family? and um, But by others, well... You're spoken to by your members of your family, but you're spoken to because you carry the family name and that's about as far as it goes. I wonder. Kevin Lehman was a Christian, he's a Christian psychologist. And I don't know whether any of you read his book about birth order. Anyone read that book at all? My wife has, I know. Um, And it's all about birth order, or put more simply, where am I in the family? Am I the oldest, am I the youngest, or am I somewhere in between? In his book, he points out the various various character traits that repeatedly show up in relation to where you are in the family. Often how we relate with our siblings has nothing to do with anything they've done, I've done, but it comes back to where we are simply to do with where we're born into the family. And as I read this, the rest of this chapter this morning that's just been read to us in this Bible reading today, 
I think I can relate a little bit to the story of Joseph, the youngest in his relationship with his brothers. He was the youngest, and that's, that's me. I was the youngest in my family. But let me hasten to make clear, of course, this morning that I, was, I wasn't in any way disliked or hated by my two brothers, and my, uh, my, my sister was the oldest. And, um, but I think they always thought when I was growing up, I felt this anyway, whether it's true or not, I'm not sure, they thought I was spoiled by mum. Some of you are relating to that, are you? Okay. <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's how they saw it. But, you know, in my family, mum and we were not a wealthy family. Mum and dad had to work hard and they provided for the four of us uh, as best they could. And um, I think that as we, my older siblings and myself grew to adulthood, we would say that we were fairly treated by mum and dad. And uh, that we were treated very even-handedly. So what was going on this morning in Joseph's family? Question. Genesis 37, 17 to 18. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dotham and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognised him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. It says that they made plans to kill him. You just, we've just had it read to us a few times now. It wouldn't be hard, you see, I don't think, to imagine that Joseph must have known or felt something of how his brothers felt about him. What was Joseph to do, though? How did Joseph handle hatred? Well, before we go on this morning, I'm going to suggest that we stop at this point and we pray. And we ask that God will speak to us through the scripture verses that are spoken out this morning and you'll see on the screen as we go through. It's not important what I have to say in a sense, but it's important that we pay attention to the scripture. So let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the Bible and all that it has given us. And I pray that as we look at this part of the Bible today and some of the New Testament as well, that we'll have our hearts open the ears, the eyes of our hearts, open to what you might want to say to us personally today. And so we pray these things and ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the uh, title for today, as Steve gave it to me, was Handling Hatred. So how do you handle hatred? How would you handle hatred if you haven't had to handle it? How or where does hatred begin? What sparked such venomous hatred from uh, Joseph's brothers toward himself at the time that would have brought about this extreme dislike that was there? This hatred that caused them to want to get rid of him for good. Yes, Joseph enjoyed much affection from his father, And it would seem, no doubt, that his brothers had not known the same affection. The extent of that love for Joseph, if you like, was flaunted in the face of his brothers when when Joseph, he thought so much of this young lad, he made him this beautiful ornamented coat. We often hear it talked about the coat of many colours. And he gave it to him. 37 
Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate, ornate robe for him. Now, you and I can experience dislike or hatred to come our way from many different quarters, many different reasons. But in Joseph's case, I think the reason that hatred and dislike and, and all those things that we think about came from jealousy. And that was the root and the cause of hatred in this case that he experienced from his brothers. 37.4 says, But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. So they knew where they stood as well. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So we then come to the issue of Joseph. He decides to relate his dreams. Our brother talked about the dreams a bit last week. And he related these dreams that he had. And um, I don't know whether you've ever noticed that the, while the interpretation uh, um, <clears throat> or, or the meaning of these dreams, they were prophetic. They were definitely prophetic. But at the time, Joseph was simply relating what he'd been dreamt about the night before. There was nothing that I've read that I can suggest that at that moment in time, Joseph had any idea that what he had dreamt was prophetic. He was just this young lad, 17 or 18 years of age. Having said that, it's not hard for you and me to see how the older brothers would have seen Joseph as a young upstart. You can see that and you can imagine that, can't you? And there was no way that they were going to hear and going to accept these dreams and that they were going to be a reality and that they were going to see this happen. Jealousy may have been the very beginning of the siblings' hatred for Joseph, but now the hatred had already been fuelled by these dreams. It should also be noted that the dislike that his brothers had for Joseph was probably further aggravated by a verse that we read last week, verse 2. And this was what it said. It said he worked for, key on that word, worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhar and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now I'm going to leave it to you this morning to make up your own minds as to whether uh, Joseph's intent uh, was malicious when he squealed in his older brother's. You can make your own mind up on that. Or whether it was just youthful enthusiasm, but whichever way it went, he didn't endear himself to his brothers. Try putting yourself in the situation. Imagine that this is your younger brother of yours and he was the apparel of your father's eye. And now your father was also someone that you highly respected as well. And yet you just can't come to grips with why Dad's got this attitude of this young brother of mine. You already have a dislike for your younger brother and now you hear him enunciating or relating this dream that he's just had. And you know, I'm going to suggest that you might as well have had any number of, of reasons or, or, or reactions to when he told you the dream. Can I imagine you might have said, ha, come on, Joe, where did you get that dream from? I hope you have a better sleep tonight <coughs> and, and rather than dreaming up that rubbish. That could have been your reaction. 
And so you have a light-hearted response to what you've just heard and really give it no further thought. Or on the flip side, you might take what you've just heard from the dream a little more seriously and begin wondering what it really means and could there be some truth in it. But maybe there will come a time when you say to yourself, well, young Joe might become our ruler one day. Who knows? But that's a long way off. Who's going to worry about it? Then in Genesis 37, 9 to 11, there is the record of a second dream. And we do not know whether this was straight after the previous one in verses 5 to 8. We, the Bible doesn't tell us. The difference this time was, though, that listing in was Joseph's father. He was right there and he was in on the conversation and we're left in no doubt that Jacob, who God now called Israel, took his young son Joseph's second dream seriously when, when we read this in verses 10 to 11. But when he told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept these sayings in mind. You know, as we said earlier, we don't need to use much imagination to think that Joseph must have known that he was more than just disliked by his brothers. But without a doubt, I would suggest that, the, that he knew that each of his brothers plainly had this absolute vitriolic hatred for him. Now, this morning we've spent a lot of time already looking at the hatred that was projected at Joseph by all of his brothers. But what we want to look at this morning is how Joseph responded and how did he handle such vitriolic hatred. Well, you know, I want to just suggest to you this morning, the Bible doesn't say a lot more about how he handled it. You, you know the story, what went on from there. He was sold into slavery and so on. It doesn't tell us a lot. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to look elsewhere. You see, he may have... There may have been stirred up a little extra anger for the brothers with a couple of the brothers when they went home and found that, that he'd dobbed on them to his father. So where do we go to look at how do you and I handle hatred directed toward us? Well, the dictionary says that hatred is the emotion of intense dislike. And I... I couldn't help but pick up on this bit. It went on to say in the dictionary, it's a feeling of dislike so strong that it demands action. And in Genesis 37, 18 to 19, we've got... Um, well, before I do that, we want to look at the New Testament in a moment, but I want to look at Genesis first. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognised him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. And I want to suggest that a good starting point for you and me to have in the face of hatred or anger or dislike or whatever it is in that broken relationship that you might have experienced is to look at what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 28. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So we mightn't have got a lot from the way Joseph handled hatred, but this is, what, this is Jesus talking. And Jesus gives us four pointers in that verse that I've just read as to how we might respond in the face of anger, hatred, or whatever disagreement it is that you might be experiencing. First one was love your enemies, it said. The second one was to do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And then Jesus goes on to say, pray for those who mistreat you. You know, I began preparing for this today around Easter time and I couldn't help but think of what Jesus did when he faced this absolute, the correct word again, vitriolic hatred that Jesus faced. A hatred that ultimately cost him his life. As I thought about those words of Jesus that I just read, another thing that flashed into my mind was that what Jesus said about loving, doing good, blessing and praying. Now, I want to suggest to you that in your, you're in this situation with a difficult relationship. They are sometimes not easy things to do. Would you agree? Maybe I'm even criticised by someone else and I hear about it. How do I respond when I hear that something's been said about me? I, it's, I hear it third hand, however I hear about it. Let me say my brothers and sisters here this morning, that's the beginning of what Jesus wants us to do in response to how we face even minor disagreements of anger toward us or hatred, or experience from another person. Those four things. Loving our enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And Jesus says we're to pray for them. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The Apostle Paul in his book really challenges us to put into practice what Jesus says. If you look at Romans 12, 9, says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And I have to say to you this morning that when I look back at my own life, when I face difficult situations, I've got some regrets in that when I've heard something, I've tended to fight fire with fire. You know, my response to someone criticising me is to criticise them back. That's, I regret to say that, that that's... That's happened to me. And I wonder, can you relate to that? But, you know, it just reminded me that when I was preparing, two wrongs don't make a right, do they? Paul says to us that I'm to have an immense dislike and hatred that even demands action to the wrongs of that other person. And indeed, the Apostle Paul says that you and I are to hold tightly what to what is good. And I don't know whether you picked up on that verse that I just read to you. But uh, that the Bible actually gives you consent, every one of you here this morning, consent uh, to, um, to hate and have hatred in your heart. Because it says, oh, well, before I go on, you might want to say to me, Alan, you've got to be joking. How do you get that out of the Bible? Well, you know, the truth is, where to hate what Jesus hates. 
That's what we're to hate. We're to hate what Jesus hates. And what are some of the things that Jesus hates? Well, we've already read Romans 12, 9. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. But probably the pinnacle of things that God hates most is when I put anything in my life, you put anything in your life that's more important than God himself. And I go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And of course, money could be replaced there with anything else that you put between you and God. Money is used in that verse. Do you realise this morning that not hating something or someone is not neutral territory? The Bible says that we're to take action. How easy is it for us to say something like, oh, you know, I don't really hate somebody. Oh, no, I I can't think of anybody I really hate. Well, the Bible says that you and I are not just to be neutral about not hating, but we are to be proactive. And again, Jesus said in Luke 6, 27, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You see, it's not neutral territory, is it? Well, how do I confront being disliked and criticised? How do I confront when when that happens to me? Do I confront it with an ongoing attitude of love for that other person? Do I even think about going out of my way to do good for them? That's the challenge that Jesus gives to you and me in how we're to handle hate. In fact, Jesus gives us great encouragement as to how we should respond in the face of conflict in any relationship. Rather than just being neutral and happy with yourself that you don't hate anybody, Jesus says this, Luke 6, 23, What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil? Why? Because you follow the Son of Man. Verse 23, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. You know, as I considered that verse, I was taken to something else that Jesus said. You know, by very nature, I think all of us, I went around the room here today, Went around this auditorium and said, do you like to be liked? I think the answer is we all like to be liked. We all like to be liked. But is that a realistic expectation in the light of Jesus' words in chapter 21, in a discourse, in Luke 21 this is, in a discourse in which I think Jesus is speaking words that are applicable to us today in 2023. Luke 21, 16 to 19, says you'll even be turned in by your parents, brothers and relatives, friends, some of you will be killed. And by the way, that kill there might not just necessarily mean physically dying, but do we kill other people's character? Do we say things about other people that we may as well be killing them? You know, that's what I think it's talking about. There's no telling who will hate you because of me. Because you're a follower of Jesus, you can expect there could be times when you'll be disliked. Even so, 
Every detail of your body, and I love these next couple of verses. Even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs of your head is in my care. Nothing of you will be lost. Verse 19, staying with it, that's what's required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry, you'll be saved. Jesus is saying to us today that when we hate the things that he hates and find life a struggle and hard to cope with, we have the encouragement of his words and the protection that we just read about from Jesus in in verses um, 18 to 19. Let me read it again. Even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs of your head, is in my care. Nothing of you will be lost. Staying with it, that's what's required. Staying with it to the end, you won't be sorry, you'll be saved. In a moment, we're going to close and uh, our time together, and if the musos and others want to come up, you might do that while I'm finishing off. But I wonder this morning, has there been something said from the Bible today that you realise is contrary to where God would want you to be? Have you heard anything from the scripture passages this morning which would say, hey, that's not where I'm at. It may be that this morning that through no fault of your own, you are aware of strained relationships between yourself and another of God's family. A moment ago we read that when we put our lives right with God, we'll be saved. And more simply put, we can know that when we put our lives right with God, that we will spend eternity forever with God and his son Jesus Christ Our brother reminded that in our communion this morning and and that's where we can know for sure we'll be when Jesus comes again. I wonder this morning, is it that you're not sure of your relationship with Jesus or where you will spend eternity when this life ends? My encouragement this morning is to do something about your relationship with Jesus Do not put that decision off this morning. It's not neutral territory. If you want to make sure of your eternal future, I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning to respond to that if you want to. During the singing of this hymn, if you've realised that you are living a life or your living things in your life are contrary to where Jesus wants you to be and you want to put that right today, then I'm going to give you that opportunity. We're just going to sing just as I am with that one plea in a moment. And as we do that, if you want to step out of where you're sitting, where you're standing this morning and say to this group of people from today on, I want to live my life the way Jesus wants me to live. Then I'm just going to give you that opportunity. And if you choose to come forward and say that to this group of people, we will pray with you and and, uh, go through the decision that you've made. Let's uh, pray and then we'll sing together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the Bible. I thank you for the scripture passages. Father God, it's, it's not important, the words in the sense that I speak, but the scripture passages are important. And I pray that this morning, if there's someone here that is perhaps struggling with saying, hey, that's not where I'm at and I need to change, that you'll give them the strength to stand up for you today and to come forward to say to this group of people, I want to get right with God today. We pray and ask these things now in your name. Amen. We'll sing together.
that um, you will take us, use us, help us to live, help us to live this week hating the things that you hate, doing the things that you want us to do. That would be our prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.